Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Father, this morning, God, as we continue... God, we just ask. God, we want to soak you up. Jesus, you're good. Lord, I know, we know you're speaking to us, Lord, as a church. You're speaking to us as individuals, as men and women, as boys and girls right now. God, as we have lifted your name high, as we've remembered your faithfulness in our lives, God, and as we've recalled this holy night, Lord Jesus, when you were born, God, we praise you. We esteem you high and lift it up. Lord, we want to soak this in. Jesus, we want to soak you in. God, continue to speak to us as we continue, Lord, in this this morning. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name, in your name alone. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you, team, so much. So amazing. It, It... I love, I love worship. I love worship. And when I say worship, I, I say this quite often um, up here, but I mean it. Worship is not just worshiping in song, right? Worship is, starts as we get in the car to come to here to gather. Worship is, can be being, being done at that point as we, with our hearts, are looking to Jesus and we're fixing our eyes on him and hopefully on the road, too, as we drive, right? Okay, okay. Uh, but as we're, even as we're driving ourselves, we can be worshiping as we come to this place. As we come into these doors and see each other we haven't seen in a week or so, we can be worshiping as we fellowship and, and eat a cookie, take some coffee, get, get juices flowing with each other. That's worship. You know, worshiping in song, of course. It's a, it's a divine gift from God, music, isn't it? We know it. Remember David playing the harp, and it would actually do ministry uh, it, would, it would slay around spirit. Anyways, music is divine. We thank God for it. And we continue in worship, you know, as we dig into his word and allow his word to illuminate in our lives and, and, and teach us and, and, and guide us and correct us and, and put us into the, the places where God wants us. Anyway, so as we continue in worship, guys, I pray that we're continuing to hear the voice of Jesus. Well, oh, I technically didn't even introduce myself. For those that might be new around here, my name is Matt. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here and uh, pastor on staff here at River of Life, and it's going to be a joy to just share God's word with you this morning. Um, if you've been with us, we've been in this um, um, season of Advent. We're coming into our four-week season of Advent, week two here. Uh, I wanted to just pause, and I wanted to pull this up for a specific reason. <sighs> One, because you guys get to sit, and I have to stand still. So I'm going to just take a moment to sit. No, um, I wanted to just pause before just diving headlong into week two and talk about anticipation. I want to pause because I think we as a church culture have a problem sometimes, and that is we hear a message Sunday to Sunday, we let it go in one ear, yeah, in on one ear, and it goes right out the other the next week. You know, we hear something new, and okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we never really, I don't know, maybe I'm alone here, okay, but I don't think I am. Uh, where we just, you know, we just kind of keep going. And it's almost like so, so much information and so much, and it's good. But sometimes we don't allow what God wanted to do in us last week to really take root, you know? Anyways, so real quick, 
Just like 30 seconds. Last week, who was here? Okay. What did we talk about last week? Yeah. Hey, that's good. Okay, we're on board. So waiting, John, John last week brought us into this series, talked about waiting, okay? How there's seasons in our life where we're waiting on things. And I don't know about you, but as I sat there and I listened to what God was speaking to me, boy, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in my life that I'm just waiting for, okay? Things that God has promised me, things that God has promised you, things that God has promised the people of God, things that God had promised people as we look 2,000 years ago, the, the nation of Israel, okay? Things that God had promised them, hey, a Messiah is coming, and guess what? I'm silent for 400 years after the book of Malachi. We have 400 years of silence, and then the coming of Christ came. Well, in that 400 years, there was real people with real issues, with real things going on among the people of God, and they had to wait and, and I know that some of us, we're, we're waiting on things, what, things that the, I know the Lord has pushed on your heart and, and that I, I pray that you've prayed through. You know, and last week we, we considered like in, when, when, we're, when we're in this phase of waiting, we're, we're over here, okay, this first week of Advent, the season of waiting where we're, we, we, we were encouraged to stand firm, to, to, to exercise patience, uh, to allow the Lord to change how we pray was one of the points. Allow God to change the way we pray as we wait. Allow God to change how we obey him and be faithful and be servants of him in the midst of like, God, I'm waiting for you to fulfill your promises in my life, but you know what? You're not doing it yet, but I trust you, so I'm going to just keep serving you. I'm going to serve faithfully. And the final point last week as we considered what it, what, what it does to us when we wait, at least if we allow it, God wants to do a work while we wait. Is, to, is, is our hope needs to be fixed. When we're waiting, our hope has to be fixed on what he's going to do because we can't do anything about it when we're waiting. So let that rattle around in our brains as we continue on this week um, about waiting, okay? Don't forget about that. But as we do troop forward into this week, okay, we're coming to week two. We're coming to week two. We're, we're, we're moving on from waiting, this season of waiting, this this. This, okay, I've got to be stand, you know, stand firm my ground, be steadfast, learn patience, learn how to pray. We're moving from that. We're coming into this concept, this theme of anticipation this week. And as our minds transition to this, as I prayed through, okay, God, what's anticipation to you, Lord? What, what do you want us as a body, as individuals, to, to hear about anticipation? And these words came to mind over and over again. Anticipation is all about intentional, intentional, purposeful preparation. Preparation. So we're moving from the standing, you know, we're standing our ground, we're waiting, we're patient, we're looking, it's going to come, it's going to come, and we move into this beautiful season, it can be, it can, of anticipation of us intentionally preparing ourselves because that thing that we were waiting for is now like we are on the verge of it. We're about to step through the door of that event or that person or that thing. And in our context, the coming work of God, where it's actually coming and, it, and, and we even dive into the waters of, and it's here, like it's here and we can prepare for it to do a work in and through us, the work of God. Think about it like this. As we get, we got to get our minds, juices flowing. I know it's, well, you're the second service. You're good to go. Uh, but uh, the first service, we need to get our juices flowing a little bit. So in case you're not awake. So anticipation, this intentional preparation. Think of it like this, okay? Uh, say you're going to go take a trip to the Bahamas a year from now, okay? So we're in, in our first theme of waiting. 
So you plan for your trip. Oh, hey, honey, let's go to the Bahamas. That would be sweet, right? So you go, okay, next Advent season, we're going to be getting out of GJ, and we're going to just cruise it to the Bahamas. So, so you buy your ticket online, okay? You got the date set, ticket, bam, credit card earned some bonus points. There we go. Okay, yeah. So you have a year of waiting, you know? Okay, it's kind of funny, but, you, you know, you're waiting. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait to do that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Now, as we approach this theme of anticipation, what do we do come, for some of us, a couple weeks before the trip? For some of you, it's like a day before the trip. But what do you do? What changes? Yeah, I heard it. Pack, prepare, intentionally, you know, you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be putting on my board shorts because I'm going to surf with all those dudes and I'm probably going to kill myself. So, so you intentionally prepare, you know, you got your board shorts in your, in your bag, you got your sandals, you know, you don't need your snow boots, so you got your sandals, you got your towels, you got your snorkels, you got your, you know, all your, you're going to be whiter than sheep, so maybe you go to the tanning salon or something, okay? So you, you prepare yourself as the trip comes, like, that, like I said, some of you, the day before, and, and you probably drive your spouses mad if you, if you do that, by the way, okay? So, but you anticipate, you intentionally prepare, you throw in what you need, you prepare yourself because you're anticipating now, I'm going on this trip. I had to share something in my own life as I anticipated something. There was, a, there was a season in time where I was a single guy, and I got engaged to my beautiful now wife, Lauren, and we have three kids now, and they're beautiful. But there was a time where I was a single dude, and I had a house. I bought a house in Aurora. This is back in 2006 or so. I bought a house in Aurora, and I had five dudes living with me, paying me rent. It was great. They paid my mortgage off. It was great. Well, not off, but they paid a lot of it. Um, anyways, I had five guys at one point renting from me in a, you know, it had a five-bedroom house, two baths. Thank the Lord for two baths, not just one. Uh, but, so we, you know, we were living as bachelors. We were having fun. We were doing things guys do, and we left things pretty messy, okay? Well, as I got engaged to this beautiful bride of mine that was to be, uh, I was waiting for our wedding, right? Six months from the time I bent my knee and said, Lord, Lord would you marry me? And, and I knew, okay, we're setting a date here. Um, and, and I knew I had six months, okay, of waiting for her to move into this house and call it our own house. So I'm waiting for it. You know, we're preparing for the wedding, you know, da, 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 da. we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Well, a month or so, or maybe two months before the wedding, what do you suppose I was doing around my house? Just kind of leaving it alone. Yeah, I'll just wait. No, 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 no. I was throwing my roommates out. You guys are out like two months before the wedding. You trash pigs. Anyways, and I was cleaning my house. I was intentionally preparing my house for the coming of my bride. And so that we could set up shop and kind of live on life with a... And I even hired, I think my mom might have hired, a cleaning crew. Because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do the good, as good as what I need to do for my beautiful wife to come in here. So we made sure to intentionally prepare for the coming of my wife into our house. And for our case this morning, as we, as we switch gears into what I believe God wants to speak to us today, God, he is at work. God is moving. He is powerfully moving in and through his people, his church, through his spirit. God's kingdom is coming. Would you agree? 
it, it, it came, you know, Jesus did his work. The kingdom has come. God's work has, has been going continually since the, 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 the dawn of the, when he created the world. He, he's always been working and he continues to work. He is working right now and he'll work this afternoon and he'll do some more work tomorrow as you do your, did whatever you do on Mondays. God is at work, but my question for us as we approach this theme is that are we ripe and are we ready? Have we intentionally prepared ourselves so that when we walk out the door, or I shouldn't even say that, as we get up in the morning and spend time at our house and before we even walk out the door, are we intentionally preparing ourselves to be filled and allow his work to happen within us? Okay, so we're preparing, yes, God, do your work in me, but also preparing, okay, God, what do you want to do through me? Because God, I know you're going to do a work. And some of us need to just hear that. We could go home. God wants to do a work in you, and he wants to do a work through you. But sometimes we can ignorantly, and not even think about it, not, not even in a bad way or a negative way, but just in a, in a neutral way. We just kinda, we're, in, we're in neutral. We just kind of float. Intentionally preparing. I've titled today's message, To Prepare the Way for the Coming Work of God, this anticipation, this intentional preparation. We've got to be men and women who prepare the way for the coming work of God among us. This morning, we're going to dive in, and we're going to be looking at the life and ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, we heard it read as we lit this candle, um, the prophet Isaiah prophesying about his ministry that he was going to do, a man who walked and ministered with great anticipation. As he was called on by God to prepare the way to welcome the coming work of God, and in his context, one of the greatest work of God, the coming of Jesus Christ, God becoming man, putting on flesh, dwelling among us, to, oh, the cross isn't there anymore, uh, to die on the cross for the sins of the world and to conquer death and rise again that he might be king of all. So John the Baptist with great anticipation. And this morning, I, I wish we had a lot more time. Uh, John the Baptist had, had, phenomenal, had a phenomenal life, did a lot of ministry, did a lot of cool things. There's a lot of parts of his life that we could glean from. Uh, but this morning, God kind of narrowed it down for us with our time frame, to just three aspects that I wanted to dig into this morning as we, as we consider his life. How did, how did John anticipate? How did he prepare well for the coming of Jesus and the work of God? Um, turn with me to John chapter 1, if you're not already there. John chapter 1. And as you guys turn, I'm just going to ask um, the Lord to, to speak this morning. Lord, Lord Jesus, we, we pause and we, we want to just remember and recognize, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within the believer. You can illuminate your word to us. You can apply your word to us. You can apply truth to our lives. And, and Jesus, we just ask you to do this great work uh, in us today. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and Lord, hearts that are receptive, Lord, to whatever it is uh, that you speak uh, this morning. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. John chapter 1. Uh, let's jump in uh, to verse 6. There was a man, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness 
to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Jump down to verse 19 with me as we continue looking at John's life. Verse 19, and this testimony, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24, now they, these guys, had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. As we read that, this, this, this scene unfolding, we come to our first aspect that we want to dig into this morning, of how John the Baptist anticipated, how he intentionally prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. And that is, he had a posture He maintained a posture of humility. He maintained a posture of humility. Now, we've got to pause sometimes. When you go to Scripture, right, you you can read something so fast, you know, in in your devotion time or or time time this morning. Sometimes we can breeze through Scripture and and not put ourselves into the scene and not think through, okay, what's what's going on here? What's what's the context? What's happening? So so let's put ourselves into this scene here. We have these guys sent from the Pharisees, sent from these religious leaders of the day. They're, they're seeing what's going on in John the Baptist. And, and maybe you remember from last week, do you remember John the Baptist's story? Um, and I tried to do this in the first service and failed, and I'm failing it again because I can't ask this in a question without just saying it. So I'm just going to say it. Uh, John the Baptist was a miracle child, remember? Elizabeth and Zechariah, they, they, they were bar- or he, she, Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. And God promised them a, a, a child. And they, 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 they conceived John, and then he was born. And news of this spread across this whole country. John was a, this was a miracle child. Like, God is at work. And, and we read in, in Luke 2, in the context of all this, that John, as he grew up and, and, and became, you know, more, he, he went off in the desert. And, and we know that whole picture of him eating locusts and being a wild man, Sasquatch guy. And, uh, you know, I, 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 that picture is, is clear and that's there. But I think that distracts us from who John the Baptist really was, okay? While he was in the wilderness, it says in, in Luke 2 that, that God that the word of God came to John for John to speak and, and, and God's word came to him to, 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 to pr- profess something, the coming of Jesus. And we, we remember last week, it was 400 years where that hadn't happened since the prophet Malachi. Now, the way God worked through prophets is the word of the Lord would come to Isaiah or come to Malachi or come to Joel and they would go prophesy in that word that they received from God. And that hadn't happened for 400 years. And so not only was John the Baptist a miracle child that was spread over the whole land, 
But he was also this guy in 400 years. God hadn't really, his word hadn't come on to someone to, to, to proclaim something from God in 400 years. So as we approach this scene, we need to be careful not to just assume nothing's going on here. These guys know there's something going on with John. So they're asking him, hey, are you Elijah? And there's a big story behind that we're not going to get into due to time today. You know, are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? And notice what John says. He simply answers them, no, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. Now, in that answer, read between the lines. John the Baptist could have had a posture of, well, no, I'm not the Christ, but I was the miracle child. Remember, my mom was, was you know, she was barren, and God, you know, made that happen. And that, that was me that was conceived. That was me. And you guys remember, hey, Israel, hey, you, you Pharisees, you guys remember when God hasn't spoken to us in, in 400 years through, through any, any prophet, and, and I'm the one he came to. I'm the special one that God's speaking to now. He, he doesn't have that type of posture, does he? In fact, he has just the opposite. Humility. John had the humility to fully prepare the way so that Jesus would be the famous one. He didn't, he didn't talk about himself much at all, except for, hey, I'm the, I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for Jesus. This Tuesday, this past Tuesday morning, I was putting things down on paper about this Sunday. You know, Lord, what, what would you have me say? Kind of looking through different scriptures. And Tuesday morning, I was putting some thoughts on paper. And I, I, this, this humility was screaming at me. Look, look at his humility, Matt. Look at, look at this humility. And God hit me with a powerful sense of remembering past times in my life where this was not true of my life. And it hit me so hard that if you would have been a fly on the wall, you would have been like, what's going on with this guy? I just began to weep. I, I was at my desk. I just, I, I, like, uncontrollably, like, oh, my. Because I was so, one, thankful that God, in his mercy, in the midst of me being so many times the opposite of this, he still loves me, and he still died for me, and he's my savior, and he's my king, and, and he still accepts me. And, and even though I fall on my face and, and not live out of this so many times in my life, and, and, and even presently, and, and fall, that his mercy is, is, is new every morning. But I also was weeping because what, what, what's the opposite of humility? Pride. Yeah, that is the antithesis. That is the arch enemy of humility is pride. I was weeping because I was remembering times in my life where pride was the kicker. C.S. Lewis, great, great author, love his books. Love Narnia in the Christmas season. Read it with your families. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he, he quotes this. It's on the screen. He comes to a chapter where he, where he speaks to pride. He, he looks at pride. He examines pride. It's a great chapter on this subject. And he talks about humility in the midst of it too. He says this, Today I come to the part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. 
and of which hardly any people ever, uh, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes man more unpopular, no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. And the vice I'm talking about is pride. Would you agree? I agree. See, he goes on to kind of, like I said, unpack pride. And if you're, if you're looking for some good reading on pride, man, Mere Christianity chapter 8. It's great. He goes on to say how pride is competitive. It's like, it's this beast. It's this animal that's like, give me more, give me more. I'm not stopping. And once you have it, you're like, I need more. And once you have it, I need more. And it's not just about more. It's like, I need more than the other person. If the other person gets an A+, I need to get an A++++. And we, we chuckle, and it's fine. Like, yeah, it's funny, but it's real. And it's, and it's deep, and it's, 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 uh, it's, um, it's sneaky. It's like you don't know what's there. And all of a sudden, you're, in your, you're, you're, you're blowing up with your spouse, or you're, 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 you're destroying a relationship, or you're, you're, you're taking credit for amazing ministry being done, or you're, you're, you're putting a badge on your suit of honor, you know, your, your metaphorical suit of honor, and, and, you're, 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 and there's a healthiness. We, we all need some good pride, some healthy pride, but there's a point where, it, where it's about us. We are the famous one. Well, as I weeped Tuesday morning, God reminded me of a time in my life that he said, man, I want you to share this. It was a time in my life in 2005. I moved to Denver. I just graduated Bible school. Um, I was excited about serving the Lord. Uh, I moved to Denver, and I, I was uh, called to be a, a youth pastor at a church, brand new church plan in the Christian Missionary Alliance. They called me up and invited me out you know, a few months before I graduated, and I decided, yeah, heck yeah, single guy, snowboarding, love the winter, love mountains, love climbing. I'm going, going to Denver. Here we go. Church plant, youth pastor. It was good. I was excited about what God was going to do. Well, our first meeting, we, we, we met, and we were meeting in this little office space, and, and there was four, four youth students, middle schoolers, you know, just, just awesome. That, that awkward phase of life, I love it. I love it. You know, 13-year-olds, yeah. Um, anyway, so we're, we're just starting to start, start a youth group for, for a couple girls, a couple guys. And, uh, boy, so starting from there and, and God just kind of used the ministry and we, we were moving forward. We got, we recruited some, some other friends and people from, from different places and, and all, and before we knew it, we, in six months or so, we had this pretty well oiled machine, this youth group, this powerful ministry in the area. We would go to skate parks and, and just like share the gospel with kids. They'd come to the Lord and they'd, they'd, they'd come to the church. And, and, and we had like probably most of the youth group wasn't even church people. They, they just came and like their parents didn't even know Jesus. And, uh, you know, slowly we saw God bring in the, the parents. And it was just a phenomenal ministry. God was doing a great work. So, like I said, in about six months to a year, we had this well-oiled machine. God was working. We had 65, 70 kids from week to week. It was like, whoa, wow, Matt, you're doing a good job. Boy, Matt, whoa, what's Matt doing? 
oh, what's Matt doing? And you know what? After you hear that enough, boy, I started going, yeah, what am I doing? Whoa, I am doing, wow, I am doing pretty good. And the sneaky, sneaky, sneaky started to kind of, you know, invade my life, this little sneaky pride. Ah, I'm doing pretty good. C.S. Lewis, Satan is perfectly content to see us, to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided that all the while, all the time, he is setting up in you the dictatorship of pride. For pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love, contentment, or even common sense. Pride prepares the way for us to be the famous one. And I'll never forget, there was one night in 2006, God, he had been doing this work, kind of speaking some of this stuff into my life already, but he woke me up, and I have a, I forgot to bring my journal here. I have a journal entry. I woke up, wee hours of the morning, weeping, 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 realizing that I am taking credit for this work that God is doing among us. God was working through me. I was just, a, I was just an empty vessel. I was an empty jar being filled with him. He was doing the work. He was bringing those kids. He was doing the ministry. Praise him for it. I was taking the credit. And God wanted me to know that I was doing that. And he showed me that I was doing that. And that night I repented. I said, Lord, oh my word. I didn't realize this, but I see it. I see this in me. I'm preparing the way for me to be the famous one. Pride prepares the way for us to be the famous one. Humility, just the opposite, prepares the way for Jesus to be the famous one. And we see John the Baptist living that out. Pride will, there's no question about it, it will impede and prevent the work of God among us. Now, God will work despite of us, but we're missing out on major blessings if we're just doing it in pride. He'll keep, you know, he, he'll keep doing the ministry. He'll keep doing it because his word won't return void. He'll keep his kingdom coming. But in the midst of it, we have that spiritual cancer in you and me and us as a church. And don't think that your pride affects only you. Your pride can affect a church. Your pride can affect a movement of the Holy Spirit. Your pride does not just affect you. We must maintain humility, this posture of humility that we see in John the Baptist. Let's continue in his story this morning. John 1, we'll continue in verse uh, 29. Verse 29 says, The next day he, John the Baptist here, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Hey, behold! Lamb of God, who, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, he whom I, I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John continued to bear witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. It remained on Jesus. I myself didn't know him, but, but he, God who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, hey, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, it's he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God, John says. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And John looks at Jesus, at Jesus as he walks by and, and he says again, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And these, his disciples of John started following Jesus. Now, in context, again, we gotta, we got to kind of get ourselves into the story. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, there's some details that the Gospel of John leaves out. We, we have Jesus being baptized before this, this day where, where John sees Jesus coming. Uh, we had the baptism of Jesus where Jesus comes and is like, John, you got to baptize me. John's like, no, I can't baptize you. you got to baptize me. But in order to be fulfilled, John, you got to do Okay, so he does it, and he sees the Spirit descend on, on Jesus, and God says, this is my Son whom I love. And then Jesus is what? Ushered out into the wilderness, right? For 40 days to be tempted by Satan. 40 days is up. And now Jesus' ministry begins. And we have John and his disciples doing normal stuff in the day. And we come to this passage. And we come to our next aspect of John's life that we want to dig into this morning. Don't miss this. John, practically, in his everyday routine in this normal stuff of life, was passionate about Jesus Christ. The, 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 the Bible doesn't record the details here because they're really not important. But for us to kind of think and put ourselves in the scene, John's just not floating on a cloud and, and, and like waiting for Jesus to come and then swoops down in the moment and goes, Hey, look, there's Jesus. You know, he, he's doing whatever he's doing that day, be it eating lunch with his disciples or I don't know, who knows what he was doing? We don't know. But he was doing something that he would probably do normally in a day of that day of the week, and him and his disciples were doing whatever that was. And in that context, in the normal, mundane, possibly boring part of the day, John sees Jesus and goes, Hey! That's him! That's the Lamb of God! That's the Lamb of God. And it says, and then the next day he does the same thing. He points Jesus out in the day-to-day stuff. Now, I know for him it's kind of like, well, duh, Matt. He literally, Jesus was walking. And, and sure, he literally pointed Jesus out. But, but today we, we have an opportunity every day. Like, like, like we all agreed this morning, God is at work. He, he is planting seeds of the gospel. He's planting seeds of truth. He's planting seeds of his love in people's lives. And he wants to use each and every one of us every single day throughout the day, depending on where we're at and what we're doing. He's got people, he's got divine appointments all day long for us to be plant, on board with him, planting seeds with him in his kingdom. Okay? And we don't know, like, and we today can point out Jesus or God or, or spiritual things or things that as we get in conversation with people, as we rub shoulders with people, we can point them to Jesus. And I think sometimes we, we, we I, I forget, I can spend a whole week of time doing normal stuff. And, and then I come to the end of the week and I'm like, oh, geez, I never really intentionally prepared myself for, for each day and each moment of the day and, and was kind of ready for, Lord, where do you want to use me and how do you want to use me and how do you want to speak through me and, and what do you want to do in me? And I, 
I think sometimes we can just get in a rhythm and we're busy and we're doing life and all of a sudden we get done a month and we haven't pointed Jesus out once. When was the last time you pointed something about Jesus in the context of somebody's life to either someone who doesn't know him at all or someone who does? You don't need to answer out loud, but just ask yourself, when was the last time in my practical day-to-day routine that I point someone towards Jesus in a way that was practical and, 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 and everybody knew it? Like say you're at the grocery store, you're chatting with the cashier, and she, she begins to cry when you say, how's your day? And she's actually honest with you and says, actually, you know, I'm getting fired or financially bound or I have this health issue or whatever it may be. And she, you know, maybe just even shares it without crying, okay? And, and what do we normally do? Oh, sorry about that. Bye, you know. What if, what if we in that moment, right? What I'm talking about here is what if we in that moment, hey, you know, Jesus has done a work in my life. He, he got me through this, this time of my life. Can, can, can I pray for you? right now. Whoa! Like, what would happen right then? You, you know, you'd feel awkward, probably. You'd be like, oh, what's this dude going to think in line that he has to wait for me to pray for this cashier, right? That's what we're thinking. Don't want to make a scene. Don't want to be weird. Don't want to be crazy for the cause of Christ. But that's what I'm saying, guys, gals. What if we practically, day to day, started pointing Jesus out? We would see the work of God happen in bigger ways. I believe it. I believe it. We just gotta, we just gotta just be available. Point them out when you get a chance to point them out. If it, because you'll you'll have that thought. Oh man, Jesus is what this lady needs, and you won't say it. You won't say it. Say it. Point them out. Say, hey, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Let me pray for you. Be weird. That's okay. But exercise judgment and wisdom in all of that. Don't don't be too crazy. <laughs> don't be that guy. Um, point Jesus out in the day-to-day stuff. You never know who you might be influencing. I'm going I'm to hit this real quick. We've got to keep moving, but you never know who you might be influencing. Look at the story here we find in John 1 when John's practically pointing Jesus out. Um, he was with two of his disciples in verse 35. Go to verse 40 with me, okay? So two of his disciples with John. Verse 40 says, Now one of the two disciples who had heard John speak and followed Jesus because of John's testimony to Jesus, one of these guys was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41. He then, uh, Andrew, first found, went and found his brother Simon and said to him, Hey, Simon, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And so he brought Simon, his brother, to Jesus. Jesus, looking at him, said, Hey, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Peter. Do you know who this guy Peter is? Of course we do. This is the, the dude that eventually becomes the leader of the disciples, eventually becomes the leader of the early church, eventually gets crucified upside down for the cause and martyr of, of, of sharing about Jesus and the gospel. And he writes a few of the books of, in our New Testament today. Now, we don't need to ask this question, but it's kind of implied. What if John the Baptist didn't point Jesus out that day? Now, I believe that God would have used somebody else to do it, and Peter would have, you know, I, I believe that. But John would have missed out on that blessing, seeing Peter come to know, oh, wow, Lord used me to plant that seed to Peter? Peter? What? Billy Graham has a story about how he came to know the Lord. 
He showed up at a revival meeting, Billy Graham. There was no seating space. He says in his biography, he was about to leave when someone just said, feeling led by God, said, hey, take take my seat. What's your name? Okay, yeah, take take my seat. I'll, I'll stand. I'll stand. Billy Graham comes to know Jesus that night. And we know his story. We know how God used Billy Graham. I wonder, that guy or gal, I forget if it was a guy or girl, who gave him that seat that night, being led by the Holy Spirit, what if they didn't practically do something in God's kingdom coming as they were led by the Holy Spirit? You never know who you may be influencing when you point Jesus out. Let's get after it. It could be the next Billy Graham in the cashier line. It's awesome. God's at work. May we be practically passionate about Jesus, preparing the work that God wants to do among us. Well, from here, his story, John's story, John the Baptist's story, continues. You know, as in the midst of his humility, in the midst of him, I'm sure it's not just recorded, I'm sure he points him out all the time, more than just these two instances. As John continues in his life, he eventually, we don't know what season of time passed, but John eventually gets arrested, if you know his story. He gets arrested because he was standing up for truth against the king of that day, and long story short, he gets arrested, gets thrown into prison, and eventually is beheaded for standing up for this truth. Again, long story, we don't won't unpack that this morning, but he gets beheaded. And somewhere between what we were just talking about, that day where he points Jesus out, uh, where he points Jesus out, and that day where he gets beheaded, or goes to prison, I'm sorry, before he goes to prison, in between those two events, we have this, we come to this interaction with John the Baptist that we're going to end with this morning. John chapter 3. Turn with me, John chapter 3, verse 25. These little things that we can read the Gospels over and over again, and all of a sudden, God will illuminate something to you that you never really saw before. You almost didn't even know existed, and you're like, oh my goodness. This is one of these things for me this week. John chapter 3, let's read. 25 through 30. 20, verse 24 says, for, for John has not been yet put in prison. So 25, we come here. Now a discussion arose between some of John, this is John the Baptist, John, John's disciples, and a Jew over purification. And so he, he came to John and asked him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, he's talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, He, Jesus, is now baptizing, and all are now going to him. Verse 27, John answers, A a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, remember when I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. Let's put put our ears on this morning right here. Verse 29. Then John goes into this depiction of a wedding. He says, 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, hears the bridegroom, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And then John says, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Then he says, and we could quote this, a lot of us, he must increase, I must decrease. What's John, what's he doing here? He's talking to this Jew that, you know, they're talking about, they're talking about, hey, what's going on with Jesus? You you know, you had this crazy ministry and you were baptizing and now they're all going to him. What's going on? And John says, hey, this, this joy of mine is complete. Because, and he unfolds this picture for this guy. He paints a picture. Hey, you know at a wedding when there's, a, when, when there's the bridegroom, which, which in John's mind, that's representing Jesus, this, this bridegroom, the groom. And then the bride can represent his church or the people that he's going after, the people whom Jesus loves is the bride. And then John talking of himself says, yeah, yeah, when the bridegroom comes, people are excited and, and, and I'm excited as a groomsman, you know, as a friend of the groom, of the bridegroom, rejoices greatly when they hear his voice. John says, I'm just, I, I'm just a groomsman. It's all about this guy. It's all about this guy. I'm just thankful to be a part of it. I'm blessed to be a part of it. Don't miss this this morning. John the Baptist, and we, it's, it's, it's there, it's, it's in his statement here. Maybe one of the last statements he said, and I think it's one of the last ones that's recorded for us in Scripture before he's in prison and beheaded. My joy is now made complete as I hear his voice. John the Baptist, in his anticipation, in his intentional preparation for the coming of Jesus, in the midst of his humility, in the midst of him passionately, practically pointing Jesus out, somewhere along the line, hear, hear this. If you, haven't, if you haven't listened yet, wake up and hear this. This is what God wants to say. This is big. In the midst of all of it, John the Baptist fell in love with Jesus. He fell in love with the person, the person, the real person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not just a God. He is God. He is a person that you can know and that you can interact with and that you can hear from. He can talk to you. Sure, maybe not crazy audibly all the time, though it could happen. But by his word, by his spirit... By his, by his people, by us together as we meet together and share, God speaks through us. He fell in love with Jesus. And you hear that as he says this stuff. He rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Do you rejoice at his voice? Falling in love with Jesus. The Apostle Paul, um, he wrote a, a letter to the church of Ephesus. We have it in our New Testament. It's called the you know, Ephesians. And, you know, so Paul loved this church. He encouraged this church. And the church was, was phenomenal. It did a lot of great things. The church was a, a city on a hill. It was a light for the gospel. 
But we come to, and some of you may remember this, and we don't need to turn there. I'm just going to kind of tell us about this. We come to the book of Revelations, and Jesus, remember that, 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 that phase in you know, uh, chapter 2 through chapter 5 or so of Revelations where Jesus is talking to different churches, and he's saying different things to different churches. Well, he comes to this church at Ephesus, and he says, Hey, church at Ephesus, you, you guys are doing so good. You guys have done great. You, you've upheld the gospel. You've loved well. Man, you've ran well with what I've called you to. But this, he, Jesus says uh, in Revelations 2, 2 through 5, but this I have against you. He says, you've lost your first love. And you need to return to that first love that you had for me. See, this church at Ephesus had fallen in love with, I think, something like fallen in love with knowledge of God and fallen in love in even the gospel. And that sounds weird to say, but fallen in love in the, in the truth. Fallen in love in, in all the things that, that, that Jesus does through the gospel and through truth. And, and they fell in love with the work of God. And, 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 and it sounds weird to say, but, but in the midst of it, they, 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 they strayed off the path. And Jesus said, hey, you got to return to me. Like I, me, I'm a person. And I want to know you guys. And I want you to know me. And I want to speak to you. We must remember and we must return to our first love. There, there's some here this morning that have walked with Jesus for 60 years plus. There's some of us here this morning that have walked with Jesus for 10 or 20 years plus. There's some of us, I pray, and this would be sweet if you have, in the last couple of days come to know Jesus. You've walked with him for a couple of days or plus. To all of us, even playing field, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm a person. I want to know you and I want to walk with you. Don't just read your Bible for knowledge. Read your Bible to hear from me. I don't want to just see you do my work in, you know, in, as you serve in the church or as you serve your community. And, and, and that's all good. And you need to love the work and you need to love the ministry. But if we're missing falling in love with the one who needs to fill and actually do the work in and through us, we are missing it. And he says that to that Ephesians church. He says, one thing I have against you, you're doing a good job, but remember your first love. Maybe this morning we need to remember that it's about a love relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to know you. He wants to fill you <laughs> and explode. I mean, talk about, if we're going to live in humility, if we're going to be practically passionate for him we have no chance to do either of those unless we're in love with the one who can fill us to do it right left to our own strength we're going to be prideful crazy people and we're not going to point anyone out because we don't want to be weird but when jesus fills us and we're in love with jesus and that means more than anything to us and we're there it's gonna happen it's gonna happen naturally and powerfully and sweet where we have testimonies up here on Sunday where we're going, hey, I fell in love with Jesus. I started pointing him out and all of a sudden people are, are like coming to know him. I have no idea what happened. I can tell you what's going to happen. It's Jesus reeking through you. He does that. He's real. He's still working. He hasn't changed. It's just we don't let him fill us. We don't let him be the one we're in love with.
I'll let the Lord just keep speaking that to you. It's good. Allow him to keep speaking that to you. Um, I want to give us some time real quick. We're going to take like one minute here. I want to give us an opportunity. Again, I don't want to rush through this and just move on with our week and go catch the tail end of the Broncos game and just kind of let this fade away. I believe God wants to speak to us. I think God wants change in our life. I think God wants us to apply this stuff. So I want to give you some, some time. Maybe you need to jot something down as the Spirit leads some thoughts for your unique journey with Him and what you've been hearing Him speak to your heart today. Maybe you need to close your eyes. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Remember John the Baptist, his main thing in all of what he was doing, what was his main message? Repent for the kingdom of God is, is at hand. It's here. It's coming. I submit to us this morning, I think God's knocking on your life, the door of your life, saying, hey, hey, humility, hey, practically pointing me out, hey, falling in love with me, hey, hey, maybe we need to take a moment to repent, to be challenged. Maybe we need to jot something down that he's, he's putting on our hearts so we don't forget it this week. What is he doing in our lives? And if we could go ahead and just, just play that song in the background, we're going to we're going to just, just, just allow the Lord to speak. Write something down. Respond to him this morning. Let's just take even just 30 seconds. And let's, let's, let's consider what God's speaking to us. And, and then we'll, we'll close in just a moment. Spend some time with Jesus right now. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord. Sing it spiritually. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, we are pausing to hear from you. God, I wish we had 30 more minutes to kind of just sit in your presence and, and soak you in and, and ask you to speak and, and to challenge and to move us. Lord, but with the time you have us for today, we, we ask, Lord, would you, would you apply stuff to our life today? God, we look forward to the work that you have to do in and through us. Lord, may we be men and women, boys and girls that are filled
filled with your spirit as we are humble. Lord, that you might be the famous one in and through our lives. And God, may we, God, give us visions of, of how to practically and passionately point you out. God, give us those moments. Lead us. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see those times where you want us and what to say, how to say it. And Lord Jesus, we ask that, that we might fall deeply in love with you. Lord, to remember our first love and to walk with you throughout the day. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me uh, this morning? I wanted to close as we're dismissed. I wanted to read a scripture. The Apostle Paul, again, to this church at Ephesus, wrote a prayer to the church. And I want us to read this together as we end today as a prayer, as we leave here, uh, and as we approach this week of anticipation. Um, let's just, let's just let's read this out loud together as we, as we close. So read with me. Uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Let's do it. Hey, if you're new with us, oh yeah, uh, as you go, if you are new with us, if you're a visitor here, uh, T-minus about five, seven minutes or so, back in the north wing, uh, classroom number six, it's a conference room. We'd love to say hi to you as a pastoral staff. And uh, so come grab some cookies and coffee and come and, and mix and mingle with us for a moment.